All right, happy New Year's, beautiful people. Good to see you guys. Looking good, looking good as always. You know, um, when um, when Billy was playing that first song, you know, um, you know, Oh God, You Are My God, you know, it, it gave me a memory of when I was um, in youth group. They used to have those light transparency, you know what I'm talking about, the, the machine, and turning off the lights, and to use the clear transparency papers, and you can, that was my job in the youth group, was to move it up and down. I remember that song. Uh, good times, good times. All right, hey, we are in a, are continuing our series uh, that is called Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. Um, this series is, is, this is a development, a reminder about what does it look like to be a believer? What does it look like to be a Christian? Because here in one end, here you are, you're professing that you believe in something, and yet on the other end, there's a lack of character that actually shows that your belief is real. Right? There, 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 there seems to be this, this gap between a professing believer and this act that the believer ought to be living in. Right? They, they, they seem to be able to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and yet live their lives as if it's contrary to those beliefs. So at best, what we see in a lot of believers and a lot of Christians, a lot of people who follow Christ, is we see an inconsistency in their Christian life. We see that once in a while God shows up, they're excited, they kind of give a lot of glory to God, and they kind of praise his name, and everything goes well inconsistently because it just, it just pops in and out. But at worst, what we see is a hypocritical life. We see um, brothers and sisters, Christians, who live their life contrary to what they actually say they believe. And the problem is not the truth of Jesus Christ. The problem is in the believer because there is a connection that bridges pro- profession to actual action. And that bridge is spiritual discipline. That bridge are these disciplines of the Christian faith that is used to take the truth of God's word and actually impart it deep into the heart of a person, transforming that person from the inside out. You got to be able to have that truth be a part of you and then actually mold you from the inside. That's how your character is changed. That's how things begin to happen. You have an internal spiritual discipline designed for that. So the result of such a person is an ongoing change of character that begins to match what they proclaim. And we've talked about a few of them, the series. And then it's, it's series is developed to kind of lead us into uh, our coming um, uh, retreat coming up in a couple of weeks here. It's, it's hey, here, here are the spiritual disciplines of worship, of community, and discipleship and ultimately mission, here are the, the, these characteristics, these spiritual disciplines. Now, what are you going to do with it? Now, how are you going to actually exercise it? Now, what's the next step for your life? What is the next step of faith for you to take in your Christian walk, right? And today I want to share with, last week we shared with you uh, how, what it looks like to have discipleship, you know, uh, what, what discipleship means, um, how it's to be played out, and, you know, why we do discipleship. Today, I want to I hit up the question of how do we go about making disciples, right? How do we actually go about making a disciple? What does that look like? You know, how do we do that? And I want to start with this illustration. Um, I got it from Francis Chan, but I'll, I'll make it sound like it's mine, right? It's from Francis Chan, right? And this is what he shared uh, about. He said, you know, we play this game called Simon Says, right? Simon Says. Simon Says, touch your head. And you're like, 
You know, rub your belly. You rub your belly. Simon says these things, and we do them naturally. But in the church, we have this weird thing when it comes to Jesus says, right? So when, when, when Jesus says, all of a sudden, instead of actually doing it, we say, we go about thinking about it or praying about it or uh, focusing on it. But we don't actually do it. There's an issue about what Jesus says. And in the Bible, we, we hear Jesus says, go make disciples, okay? So imagine, imagine I told Seth, yo, Seth, go clean your room. And then he disappears. Now a lady comes out, he'd be like, hey, Dad, hey, what's up, son? I thought about what you said, cleaning my room. I did it. Did you clean your room? No, I thought about it. Cool, right? But, you know, it's even more awesome is I'm going to gather a bunch of my friends together we're going to meet in the living room, sing a couple of praise songs, and we're going to discuss what it's going to look like if I clean my room. It's going to be awesome. Say, like, okay. We're going to learn it in a bunch of different languages, too, which is awesome, right? And you can imagine God be like, what are you doing? Right? This is a command. I did not tell, the day you meet God, he's not going to say, well done, well, well said, well thought, well-meaning, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So when the Bible tells us to make disciples, this is not a suggestion. This is a command to be done, not to be thought about, not to be contemplated about, not to be discussed over and over and over and not actually do anything. And so today I want to share with you what does it look like, how do we go about making a disciple? And we're going to do the backdrop of the Great Commission, of course, and I'm going to hit up a couple passages along the way to help us. So the first thing is go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Let me pray for us, and then we will uh, knock this out of the park. Father, we want to thank you for the life that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And today as we gather as sons and daughters in this room, Give us conviction to make disciples. Give us conviction, Lord, not just to talk, not just to discuss, not just to gather and contemplate, but Lord, give us the conviction to do, to make it happen. Father, I pray that our ears will be open, our heart will be softened. Holy Spirit, would you come and rest your favor upon us this day? That what we hear from your word, we will take and become truth to our life and we live it out as the reality of our souls. Father, use me unworthy as I am to preach your message. Father, God, may I bring you glory and you alone. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verse um, 18 to 20. Okay? I'm going to use that as the backdrop for our, our, our message today. Uh, and then we're going to hit up some verses between that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How to go about making disciples. How to go about making disciples. The first thing we see is that we are called to make disciples of all nations, of all people, of all groups, of all different ethnicities, all different categories, all different 
culture, all different types. We are called to reach everyone, not just a selected few that we like. Making a disciple is not like drafting in the NFL. We don't choose. We let God do the choosing. All right? We're not, see, the, the problem when, when, when we come to make disciples, here's, here's the, the issue. We kind of like want to pick the people that we think we can control. Right? We, we kind of pick the ones that we think that we can actually say something and they might listen to us. Right? So we, we kind of like, kind of like uh, gauge them. We kind of figure it out. Like, where are you at? And like, this is your temperament. This is my temperament. It kind of works out. It doesn't work out. And so we step into it with this mentality that I want to do something that I can control. I want, I want to do something that I can have a say in. I don't want to mess it up. But here in Scripture, we know, we know that in the making of disciples of all nations, there is no specific group that you're supposed to hit up. It is just everyone that God has bring into your life. While you're going, while you're going, the Bible says, not just going, but while you're going, anywhere you're going, whether work, school, life, family, church, wherever you're going, the people that are before you, God has placed them there, for disciple making. If you go to chapter, Luke chapter 6, I'll show you what this means. Luke, uh, this is the, Luke chapter 6, verse uh, 6 to 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 6 to 12. This is when Jesus was about to pick the 12 disciples. And what did he do? I want, to, I want us to see what he did here. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. Okay? Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. This is what Jesus did before he chose his 12 disciples. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Right? So what did Jesus do? In picking his disciples, he didn't just, because he had a bunch of people following him. He had a bunch of people following, but he's going to invest himself into 12. He's going to invest his energy into these 12 who's going to be his, his, uh, his disciples uh, for, the, for the future of the church. What did he do? He didn't go out and kind of measure the temperaments, like, I kind of like you. You, you listen, you kind of don't, you know, you feel like. He went and he spoke to God. That's the first and foremost. If you're going to start thinking about discipleship, you got to have it in your mind that God's going to be the one leading this process, not me. Because if you allow God to lead the process, God gets the glory. When you lead the process and you pick someone that you can control, manipulate, or even mold to your standard that you think, right, then God doesn't get control. You get control. You get the glory. You're the one that's like, wow, you did such a good job with so-and-so. But when you let God do the picking for you, when you come before God in prayer and you ask God, God, who do you have in mind for me? Who am I called? Can you imagine? Listen, listen, listen how crazy it is. Can you imagine as Jesus was praying to God and God was dropping names to Jesus? Jesus is like, who do you want me to pick? It's like, pick the traitor. Who? Matthew? Yeah. Everybody hates him, God. Exactly. Pick him. He's a traitor to the community. Pick him. That's the one I want. Right? Modern day example of that would be like, you know, if we're uh, um, 
we ask the adult Vietnamese people to, to pick, he'll be picking like a, a VC from, uh, from communist Vietnam, right? He's like, hey, God, who am I supposed to disciple? God says, uh, a Viet Cong from uh, Vietnam. They're like, what, why? Cheer to our people. Think about this more, right? Who else did he pick? Simon the Zealot? The known protester? The Antifa of the Jewish people? Right? Going around killing people in the name of God? In the name of a cause? So God, you want me to do who? What? Simon? No. Right? Can we pick someone smarter? Right? What about, what about, what about the fishermen? Peter and Andrew? God, they have no money. Like, we're about to do a whole cause here. We're about to lead a movement here. You want to pick blue-collar workers? Right? To do this work? That's it. Pick them. Peter and Andrew. Who else did he pick? Right? He got, he got, a, he got, the, the, he got the, the traitor. He, got, he picked the one whom he knew would betray him. Right? How many of y'all would pick a disciple knowing that in three years your disciple's going to stab you in your back? Right? So I'm going to pick him anyways. Do you know why? It's because he allowed God to do the work. It's not about him picking the names. It's not about him choosing the people. Right? See, if you are the one choosing and you are the one picking, if you are the one trying to manipulate and mold the situation, then the only one that gets the glory is you. And God's not about that kind of life. If anyone's going to bring change to anybody, it's from him. How do we begin to make disciples? First of all, you got to pray that God imparts someone to you. One of the best things you can do is just begin to pray. Like pray, like not vaguely, pray. What's the opposite of vaguely? I just lost my word. Pray specifically, pray specifically. Oh, my Lord, right? Pray specifically. You know, it, 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 I know some of you guys be like, I, I just, well, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I can pray like certain names. Like, if you, if you, even if you want, you can do this, okay? Ask for a sign. I dare you. So the next person that walks through this, that building or that door that's a youth group male, I'm going to disciple them. But if, if that came up, if that sign, you better do it. If he gives you a sign, you better do it. Right? But the idea here is this. You allow God to do the choosing. You step in faithfully. You bow your heads. Right? You pray. And you ask God, God, pick for me. Whom is it that you're drawing my heart to? Making a disciple is not an easy thing. It's not just willy-nilly. It's something that you got to really pray. And this goes the same way for mom and dads, for parents. When you begin to disciple your children... Disciple your family, you gotta really begin to pray for your kids. You can't just hope and wish, like, oh, things are gonna do, they don't have to listen to me anyways. You gotta pray that God begins to move their, move their hearts, stir their hearts, that as you begin to teach, that you will have the humility to teach, right? So, the first thing, making disciples of all nations, you don't get to pick and choose, you let God choose for you. You step into it, you pray, and then you make the action, you make the step. Okay? You pray for this person. I remember every time when someone asks, hey, PT, can you be my dis- uh, disciple? Right? I would have to really think, I'd say, let me think about it for a week. Right? <laughs> let me think about it for a whole week. Because if, I, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. It's going to be a long journey together. And I want to make sure that this is something that 
is right between us, right between me and God first, because I don't want to give up on you halfway through. All right? Next thing. How do we go about making disciples? Pastor says, uh, Matthew chapter 20 says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Baptizing them into the allegiance to the one true king. Discipleship is about working them through the many idols and gods in their life. You have to realize that when you bring somebody into a relationship here and you're trying to work them or lead them towards the image of Jesus Christ, they're coming in with a lot of baggage. They're coming in with a lot of weight. They're coming in with a lot of problems. They're coming in with a lot of idols and gods in their life, heavy on their shoulders, trying to figure out to direct them. And your job as a disciple maker is to help them weed out these idols in their life. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 this is what Paul says our true battle is at. Our, our battle, guys, is not about a person's temperament, okay? Our battle is not how difficult this person is being. Our battle is against the spiritual forces that are vying for their souls, that is fighting against you every inch of the way, trying their best to, to draw your disciple back into the fold of darkness while you're trying your best to push them towards God's light. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, this is what uh, Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so what Paul is saying is that the real battle that you have to engage in as a disciple maker is to recognize it's not just a personal emotional issue that they're going through. It's not just about their depression or their hurts or their background. What you have to see beyond that is that there is a force that is stirring and, and, and fighting for their heart. Some of them, they come in and they're focused on personal future, ambition, money, resources. Some of them come in and they're focused on material, blessings to give them their worth, their value. Some of them come in all about relationship, all about girls, all about guys. And you have to really begin to weed those things out. Some of them comes in and don't even a lick about God and just, you know, are, okay, whatever, you, you show me. And your job as a disciple maker is to move them towards allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. This is not a one-day thing here. This is a day-to-day activity when you're beginning to speak into their life. Hey, I'm, I see that you have a main struggle in this area. Let's work on this. Let's pray through this. Okay? It could be an issue about their future school. They're so worried about school. They're so caught up in school. They're so caught up in trying to prove themselves. They're so caught up in trying to make sure that they have some sort of control for their future. And so you got to step in and say, hey, there's something you got to understand there's a force behind you that is trying their its best to get you to get you confused to leave you uh, staggered to leave to make your life chaotic so that way you don't think for a moment that the world you're living in is a spiritual battle that they're they're in this 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 uh, situation this space where the whole entire life is meant to do what get them in going in this huge chase in this run over and over in this circular pattern. And you jump in as a discipler to do what? To break the pattern. You know those people who have patterns, right? No matter what you say to them, they keep going back to the same pattern. As a discipler, you're supposed to jump in there and help them break that pattern. Because the force that they're dealing with is telling them constantly, get back in there. 
That's where you're safe. That's what you're used to. That's what everyone else is doing. That's how everyone else is thinking. That's the um, culture of our world. That's what you should be doing. Disciple makers come in and break the patterns in their life to do what? To help them turn their allegiance to God and God alone, to Jesus and Jesus alone. So what do we do? What do we do? Your job is to identify their demons and walk alongside them in accountability as they battle their demons. Identify their demons and walk alongside them as they battle it. They can't do it alone. They need you. They need you there to speak into their life, to remind them consistently, committedly, over and over, what are you doing? Get back up. I know you messed up. All right, it's okay. We'll do it again. But you're identifying their demons for them. These are the issues that's going on in your life. This is the thing that's holding you back. This is what's keeping you from actually experiencing and knowing God for who he is. you got to step in there. Find those demons for them. Pray through it. If you don't know what it is, pray for it. Ask the Lord. God, show me what's going on in their life. Tell me what's, what, what's, what's controlling them so deeply. All right? And the way we go about doing this to move them from allegiance to all of these voices that's been vying for their hearts, ultimately to the allegiance of one voice, the one true king, Jesus himself, the Lord of lords. What do you do? You got to teach them the word because faith comes from the word. Faith comes from knowing the word. That means you need to, you need to know the word. Okay? To know the word is not to know it in your head, guys. To know the word is to know it and to know its promises for you. To know that the God who spoke then is the God who still speaks today. I know a lot of us, we read the Bible, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool what God did back then. But is God the same God today? Of course he is. God is waiting for sons and daughters to rise up and say to them, God, you, it's your name at stake, not mine. It's your glory at stake, not mine. He's waiting for sons and daughters to be committed to own this generation and say, I will do this, God. I will step into this. I'm not going to back down. The same God that raised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that worked through David, the same God that taught Solomon, the same God that moved through the judges, the same God who's teaching is the same God today, and he's the same God that works in and through you. You got to know the word if you're going to be able to teach anyone towards allegiance. You got to know what he is all about before you start teaching other people about what they should be thinking and how they should be moving and where the demons are lying. You got to know the word. Two, you got to pray and fast for them. I know that sounds kind of crazy, like a pray and fast. Why would you do that? You got to pray. There's something about prayer that you, there, there are things in their life that you can't battle every battle for them. You need, you need the Holy Spirit, God's power to actually be there working and moving in their life. And prayer and fasting is one of the marks of a believer, one of the marks of a disciple maker, that you are saying to yourself, I am, God, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do, but you have the power. So you come and you pray for them. You fast for them. Same thing with mom and dad. Say, all right, this, whatever I'm applying, just apply to as a family too, right? You're supposed to pray and fast for them, to beseech God on their behalf. To say, Lord, you do the work that I cannot do. I'm not with them 24-7. I can't be there. 
But your power is there. You manage. You orchestrate. You do the time. You are there. See, God wants you to pray and have ownership over them. He wants you to have ownership over these brothers and sisters. Do you, do you know the prayer that would move God's heart the most? You see it throughout the scripture all the time. It's the prayer of complete ownership. God, I take responsibility for them. Moses prayed this prayer on the mountain when they all decided to make the golden calf. He went up to the mountain. This is what he said to God. Craziest prayer in the world. He said, God, would you forgive them? But if you will not forgive them, then you take me with them. That was his prayer. It's like, would you forgive these people for what they've done? But if you will not forgive them, then you take me with them. It's a prayer of ownership. When you pray for your disciple like that, disciple like that, when you're saying, God, whatever it takes, as long as it takes, whatever I have to do, God, I will do it. But you do your work in changing their hearts. I will do my work in creating whatever space is necessary for that to happen. I will be there even when they leave. I will nag them even when they hate it. I will call them over and over. I will open this Bible before them. I will make every, every ounce of my energy pour it out until, oh God, they call upon your name. That prayer, that prayer will change, will move mountains. You see, so many times, guys, we look at mountains, we're like, this is, we, 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 like, we hear the Bible say, oh, you know, if you pray, you can move mountains. And it, sometimes we look at these mountains, we look at our people, we're like, they're impossible. You don't know them. They're lost causes. You're supposed to look at the mountain and say, hey, check this out. This is my God. You have nothing. You are a finite thing above Beyond my God, there's nothing beyond my God that, cannot, that he cannot do. There is no lost causes. It's only lost when you give up. They're only lost when they run. There's no lost causes. But you got to pray and fast for them. How far would you go? How far would you go? You know how far Jesus went? He didn't just pray and fast. He went to the cross to bring his souls, to bring sons and daughters home. That is the depth of how far we are called to go, to do everything we can with every ounce of energy. We can't change anybody. We can't control any circumstances. We can't manipulate. We can't force them to think a certain way. But we can bow our heads, pray, move mountains in whatever possible way to have them come to know Jesus Christ. You got to have a conviction in your heart. I know disciples, guys. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they'll take years. But that's the journey. It's years. Relationship is years. Teaching is years. It's not overnight they're going to get themselves all great. Sometimes you might get a good one. They're a little bit advanced. You know, less to teach. Sometimes you get a really hard one. But you know what? Sometimes the hard ones end up being the best ones. Because when God begins to move their heart, they just jump, leaps and bounds. It's about the willingness to say, God, whatever it takes for them to know your name and your name alone. Look, if they're going through some problems that you can't fix, you got to be praying and fasting for them because those are demons that you can't fight. You can't fight against those. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spirituality. It's against darkness. It's against authorities. It's against the spirit of this realm. You can't fight that, 
But you let God do the fighting. But God's saying, who's going to pray for them? Who's going to stand for them? Who's going to be behind them? Who's going to walk alongside them? Right? How do we go about making disciples? You let God choose them. Stop getting into the habit of you trying to control the situation. You let God choose them and you stick to them. You stick to them. Hell or high water, you stick to them. Two, you disciple them in a way that, that, that helps them to um, move them towards their total allegiance to Jesus Christ. You help them face their demons. You identify their demons and you walk alongside them to help them battle their demons. And this, this is the last characteristics of this part, okay? It's because you got to choose to love. You got to teach them the word. You got to pray and fast for them, but you got to choose to love them. You got to choose to love. Being patient, being consistent, being committed. It's hard. Sometimes they don't want you to be there. Sometimes they get tired of you. Sometimes they're over you. Sometimes they kind of make excuses for why they don't want you, right? But you got to choose to love. You know why? You know why? This is how I know it works because every one of you guys have parents, Right, unless your parents are really broken and messed up, every one of you guys have parents, and I promise you that when you were born, you did nothing for your parents. You, you, you pooed, you cried, and you ate. They gave up their Friday nights, Saturday nights. They gave up their weekends. They gave up everything for you because they kept choosing to love you. And you're thinking, oh, that's their job. Is this true, right? But because in the choosing to love, in the choosing to love, you know what ends up happening? Your parents are willing to die for you. They will take a bullet for you. Because the choosing to love is what creates unconditional love. It's not the feeling of love that creates unconditional love. It's the willingness to choose to love in the midst of making it very difficult to love. When they don't show up as they promised, you choose to love. When they keep failing, every time you ask them to do something, you choose to love. When they ignore you and walk away, you choose to love, and you pursue them, and you pursue them, and you pursue them. And somewhere along the line, if you do that, somewhere along the line, when you do that, there's a change in your heart. It becomes this, 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 this motion of, I started off feeling obligated, now it breaks my heart to see them like that, right? It breaks my heart to see them choose those roads. See, if your hands are like, I don't care anymore, right? Let me tell you something. You, you didn't really love them. At least you didn't choose to love them. Choosing to love does not just give up whenever it wants to. Choosing to love is keep choosing it. And when you keep choosing it, real love comes about. And you know that this is how you know you've, you've done right. Because their action actually begins to affect your heart. When they win, you rejoice. When they have the victory over their demons, you rejoice. You're proud. You're happy. You thank the Lord. When they lose their battles, when they fall, you cry. You hurt. It actually... It actually hurts you physically. Somehow you feel it to see them walk down this road, to, make, to see them make these choices. But it's in those characteristics of a disciple maker that brings a son and daughter to the allegiance of Christ.
If somebody is going to love me like that, and someone is loving me that way because Christ has loved them that way, then there must be something about God, something beyond what I know. How do you go about making disciples? You let God choose. You move them towards. You, you identify their demons. You walk them alongside until they face their demons. Here's the third thing. The Bible says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey, Matthew 28 says. Jesus says, to obey is not to know, okay? You're not teaching them to know. You're not, giving, you're not, you're not sprouting more information to them. You're walking with them in a way that you're teaching them to actually do it. Partial obedience, guys, is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. You're walking them to complete obedience to Christ. You're not going to relent until they're moving in complete obedience. And sometimes you, you celebrate the small victories. Yes, they were partially obedient. Yes, but it cannot be enough. It cannot be enough because God's, God's standard is righteousness. His standard is perfection. His standard is complete obedience, not partial obedience. I'll show you a story. Go fast, 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul was given the task by God to go into this battle and to wipe everything out, to leave no, no, uh, no, no goods left, right? Don't take anything. Kill all the, uh, all the sheep, all the crops, all the goats. Don't leave anything for yourself. Don't take anything that's theirs. Don't have it for your, for your own enjoyment. Take everything and get rid of it. And so Samuel, or Saul, goes about, and he fights this battle, and he wins victoriously. But what happened was, you have all these guys that he wanted to please. Instead of pleasing his God, he had all these other men around him that he wanted to please. And the spoils of war, he said, eventually they were like all complaining, like, well, can we keep something? Eventually Saul said, yeah, yeah, take it, take it, take it. And then God says, partial obedience is still disobedience. Check this out. First Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 to 23. So when Samuel reached him, this is the, the prophet Samuel, the judge Samuel, reached him. Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Samuel answered, the soldiers brought them from the Malachites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. This is, this is number one excuse. Why did, you, why did you not fully obey? Well, I, I did it because, I mean, I did, I did obey mostly, but the part that I didn't disobey, it was actually for you, God. I did it for you, right? But Samuel said, stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely Destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For the rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. How do we go about making disciples? The job of a disciple maker, okay, is to walk alongside them to get them to obey, to teach them to obey, to move them to take actionable steps towards what God is calling them to do in their life. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Do we celebrate that? Sure. We celebrate the wins, but it cannot be enough. God is looking for hearts that are completely obedient to God. Not the excuse saying, well, I, I didn't fully obey you here, God, but I fully obeyed you here. Right? I, I did this for you. Do I desire sacrifice more than obedience? You think that you did all these things and it was nice and pretty and cute, and you did this because in my name, so it was great. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is a heart that is totally aligned to me, that would listen, that would obey, that would follow. A heart of complete obedience. As a disciple maker, how do you make disciples? Your number one job is not just to teach them to know things. It's important for them to know, but it's to teach them to do the things that they know to step into it, to challenge them, to move them, to have them take the step of faith. How, how do we give God glory if every step you take, you already have control over every single step? So God's, I think God's telling me to do that. Then go and do it. It's too scary. There's too many things I got to do. It's, it's just outside my, outside my comfort zone. Then how do you expect to grow? How do you expect to become more like the image of, your, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you expect to move forward if all you want to do is stay where you're comfortable? A job of a disciple maker is to challenge them to take the next step. Take the next step in their work life. So they're working. Great. You have a job. Awesome. What's the next step there? What do you mean? Why didn't God give you that job? Why do you think you're in that position? Why do you think you have that influence? What's your next step? Oh, it's too much, right? I mean, maybe he wants me to, like, you know, disciple or, you know, preach the message to or, or do something in my, in my work field. But that's too much. I, mean, I, have to do, I have to deal with HR and all these things. That's too many obstacles and too many mountains. Really? The God of heaven and earth who caused us to go and make disciples of all nations? All of a sudden, this one little roadblock you don't think you can match, he's calling you to take the next step. Jump into it. Have the faith. Because when faith starts first, then God opens the doors to see other things happen. And then when he does that, then you begin to realize what? God has been in control the whole entire time. See, if you start saying, I'm the one that's going to do it, I'm the one that needs to know every single step first, and then I'll do it, all glory goes to you, never goes to God. To be obedient to this. So what does that look like to make them take actionable choices for, their, for the Lord, right? Something as simple as, maybe the first thing they need to work on is their spiritual discipline. Work them through prayer. Work them through Bible reading. Work them through memorization. Work them through fasting. Work them through solitude. 
Get them to come to Sunday service. I'm not, that makes, sounds like a funny thing, but sometimes just having them come to Sunday service is already an act of faith. To have them show up to, to Sunday consistently is an act of faith for them. Oh, I can't do it, PT. Like, work is so difficult. No way my boss is going to let me off on Sundays. No way I'm going to be able to show up. No way things are going to happen. Take the step of faith. Take the step of faith and let God open these doors for you. Let God mold the situation for you. Rather than just seeing the problem and saying, I can't do it. I remember when I was um, in college, uh, or high school, high school, and I was, uh, I couldn't come to Sunday service. I couldn't come to Sunday service. And I had a lot of reasons, right? Like, parents, my mom doesn't like, you know, church. I don't don't know what excuse I'm going to use to come to church, right? Can't come. It's just difficult. You know my youth pastor, Steve? This, This is what he said. He said, Actually, no, no, not my youth pastor, the EM pastor at the time. Great guy. He said this. I know you want to get baptized, Tony. I will not baptize you unless you come to Sunday service consistently. I said, why? I come to Saturday, Bible study, very consistently. I'm, I'm there. I went there for my, even before I went to formal. I went to Bible study. Then I went back the, went to homecoming, right? I am, I am legit. I can take care of that. He says, no, that you can control. This you can't. Allegiance to the Father, allegiance to Jesus Christ means taking a step of faith. I will not baptize you unless you come to Sunday service. And I'm just like, I guess I'm not getting baptized. <laughs> I'm like, There's too many mountains. I'm not doing it, you know? But that challenge was there. And, I, and part of me really wanted to give allegiance and give honor to my Lord. And so what I said, I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to show up to Sunday. Like, you got to make the room. Figure it out, right? My boss calls me. That was cleaning pools at that time. He calls me and says, hey, can you work Sundays? He's like, what time? It's like 9.30 to clean the Pearson Park pool. I'm like, yeah, I can do that, extra money. And then I realized I can go clean the pool and just jump to church, right? I remember I showed up to church, like, all wet. I didn't have extra classes. I just showed up all wet, and I sat in the pews. And he's like, why are you wet? I was like, I just got back from work. So how did that happen? It's like, my boss called me and said to work on Sundays. And I can get out of the house because mom lets me go to work for sure. She won't let me come to church, but she'll let me go to work, right? Went to work and then showed up to church. He said, I'll baptize you. I said, amen, right? But it's taking these steps. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's, ta- it's the willingness to move towards obedience. And sometimes moving towards obedience, it takes a huge act of faith. It may cost you may have to sacrifice, but in that step, more glory and more things will be open for what God can do in and through you, right? What other steps can you take them to get, nudge them to do? Maybe join a community or start a community if they don't like the ones we have, right? So I don't like the small groups here. When you have the excuse that you make, I don't like the small groups. They don't fit with me. Okay, cool. Make one. Make one with the people you like. Read the Bible. Teach the Bible, right? And you're good to go. Uh, that's, that's, that's just too much. I'm not a leader. Well, you better start praying, man, <laughs> right? Taking these steps. Nudge them to uh, go out and make disciples themselves. But here's the thing. You cannot nudge unless you do first. You cannot call someone to obedience if you yourself are not being obedient. Because that's the worst thing. That, that, that is the one thing why, they, why a lot of our youth do not like Christian faith. You know why? Because they see it in their parents. 
even today, we, we do a Q&A question every first Sunday, right? And the question that always comes up is, how do I deal with my parents who talk about Christianity, but they don't actually live it out, right? They don't live it out. They talk about it. They, they use Christianity all the time on me. I said, why does that bother you? It's because it's hypocritical. It's like, exactly. The issue is not you. The issue is your parents. In the same way as this disciple maker. You cannot call your disciple to step into something that you yourself have not stepped into first or not willing to do. You can't call them to act of faith if you have not shared with them acts of faith that you have stepped into. You cannot call them into that unless you yourself have the testimonies to give to them. Does that make sense? And you don't have testimonies if you don't take steps of faith. It's, it's a huge thing. You want to call them into acts of faith for them to take. They have to hear it from you. Where's, firsthand, not secondhand stories, but firsthand stories. Where did God work in your life? Where did God show up in your life? How did you trust in God? How did that work out for you? And if you have no stories, the main issue, the main reason is simply this. You have not walked in faith yourself. You heard the word of God, but you chose not to trust. You chose not to act. You chose not to do. You chose simply to know. And you think that the knowing of it is enough. It is not. God will never say to you, well known, good and faithful servant. Well thought out. Well, well, leading Bible study, well and good faithful servant. He will always say, well done. Obedience is what he's looking for. They will only go as far as you go. Yes, follow? Okay. <clears throat> so here's the last part. And surely I am with you always to the ends of the age. In hearing what I just shared... I think the number one thing is we, we make a lot of excuses of why we can't do it. I don't have enough time. I'm not well-read enough. I don't have enough um, knowledge. I don't think I can do it. I'm a really busy person. All right? We make all of these excuses for why we can't do it. But let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that he is with us. It means what? God made you the way you are. So you teach and you move and you disciple the way you are. You don't have to pretend to be somebody else. Your only image is Jesus Christ. You follow him and your disciples follow you. Okay? God has provided and will provide you with everything you need to accomplish your task as long as you keep going to him to ask for it. How many times are as a disciple maker, all you do is you rely on your own strength, rely on your own knowledge, rely on your own abilities. You don't have it unless you ask. He won't give it to you unless you ask. I'll tell you a funny story. When I first came to TLC, you know, 10 years ago, I clearly told our head pastor, yo, I am a good number two, okay? Meaning what? I will do whatever you tell me to do. That is my gift to you. You say it, I will do it. I am horrible at coming up with things. I do not have vision. I, I do not have it. I'm sorry, right? That's just not my thing. I don't cast visions. Right? I, I try to be as clear as possible. And what happens? He gave me the EM and he says, go. Go where? Just tell me. Just go. And it left me with a panic attack for like two months. Like just, 
what am I going to do? Every Sunday I come up, I'm like, what am I preaching? Like, you know, that time I was like leading praise, I was like, oh, I'm singing and preaching. I'm freaking out right now. Like, I don't even know this is going to work, right? Until when? Went over to uh, Pastor Tian's house. I said, bro, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just faking it till I'm making it right now, right? He said, well, did you, did you ask God? I said, ask him for what? For vision. I'm like, no, right? <laughs> Maybe you should ask. So I'm not, I'm not, I told you, I'm not good at that. It's like, when are you going to stop making excuses about what you can and cannot do and start asking God for what he can and can't do through you? I said, okay. So should we just pray? He's like, yeah, let's pray right now. I, mean, I remember I was in, I was in the, uh, his living room. We just sat and just prayed. It's like, God, give PT a vision or give Tony a vision because he has no idea what to do. And we don't want to dishonor your name and burn down the church, right? <laughs> I said, that's a very good prayer, Pastor Tian. I was like, God, give me the vision, you know? You know what the vision was at that time? It was to make disciples. That was it. The, the thing that we heard very clearly was this, just go make disciples. I brought it back to the vision team and said, guys, novel thought, right? <laughs> Crazy thought here, guys. What if we just did what the Bible told us to do and make disciples, they're like, what do you mean? Like, one person meeting another person, doing life together, keeping each other accountable, walking in the faith, leading the other person. And then I remember in that, in that room, it was, it was me, it was Evan, Ying, and Wang, Jitu, who was it? David Tian, Ilan, right? Yan was there at that time, right? And they're like, hmm, you think so? I'm like, I mean... If it goes wrong, it's on Jesus, not on us, right? He told us to do it, right? I mean, like, what can possibly happen, you know? And that was, my, that was the extent of my vision casting, guys. You guys, you guys realize that? The extent of my vision casting was like, look, if God doesn't pull through, that's on him, right? We didn't do anything wrong. We just do what he told us to do. They're like, yes, yeah, let's try it. All right, let's try it, right? Eight of us. We should just start with us, Right? Met together in the eight, year and a half goes by. Year and a half goes by, no change, right? They're like, oh, man, we should abandon this cause. <laughs> this is, we, you got the wrong vision. I was, and I remember I was thinking, about I got the wrong vision, man, <laughs> right? God, you gave me the wrong vision. And I remember that, I remember after a year and a half, it was right before we went to, um, right after, right after we went to uh, Arizona Mission for the first time, right? I said, God, you gave us the wrong vision. I don't know if we're going to do this. I, I, what are we going to do? Loudest, clear as day, God says, just wait. Just wait. And then from eight, it grew to 16 because we each picked up one. That didn't work out very well, but it's 16, right? And then outside of our pocket, randomly, right, groups started doing it on their own. Do we know what we're doing? No. Do we have any form? No. Do we have any rules? No. It was one book. Hey, guys, the book is Multiply. Give it a shot, you know? Go through it. If you finish, you finish. If you don't, figure it out. That was, that was the extent of our program right there. But yet, years later, it went from eight to now we have salt across the board. hundred people, minimum, right? It's a legacy that came out of it. Through what? The willingness to trust and step out in faith, right? Your 
disciple could be the next Paul. You don't have to change the world. You just need to be a part of a life. Your disciple could be the person who's going to change the landscape of the next generation. If you're faithful to step into it. You guys follow? What Jesus did on the cross was his obedience to the Father. For them, I will go to this cross. For them, in the future of humanity and your glory, God, Father, and for the kingdom's cause, I will go to the cross. And through them, we will change the world. And that was a story of what Jesus Christ did. And through that, here we are. 2,000 years later. My prayer for you is this. Discipleship is not a suggestion. It's not something to sit around, discuss with each other. Are we perfect? In our, of course not. But to step out in faith and we can refine it as we go. But if you use that as an excuse for why you should not do it because, you know, the program's a mess. No one knows what they're doing. Everyone's all over the place then you're never going to do anything. And all you're going to do is just sit and talk. You step out in faith, and God will open the right doors eventually for things to happen. Yes, follow? Right? My call to you, make disciples. Do it. Don't try to manipulate the person you're trying to disciple. Ask the Lord, God, send me somebody. Put a name upon my heart, an actual name on my heart. And if that name is there, I will go to them. Father, help me in every possible way not to give up on them, that I will walk with them until, until they call you Lord and Savior. That I will choose to love them. That I will do everything possible for them. That I will teach them to obey you in every possible way. Go and make disciples, church. Let's pray.